感情を込めてゆっくりとカメラを見て優しくそしてあなたの古い友達に会うように言ってくださいカサブランカのボギーのように君の瞳に乾杯サントリータイム He wants you to turn looking camera OK? That's all he said? Yes Turn to camera Generation Lost, a show about movies with Bryn and Jeremy. Who that doesn't take itself too seriously? Not too seriously, especially not this week because <laughs> we got some we got some real we definition a- stretching uh, <laughs> stuff to talk about here in the first section of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't even know if I would consider what you're about to talk about a movie, uh, but <laughs> I'm were, sure there, there were movies. Were, there were movie there elements. There were movie elements. Um, but also wanted to mention that this is the third episode of the Twee Thousands, our series, our two-month-long series on... Our salute to the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah. John Stewart, come <laughs> on the show. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, a series about Twee indie movies from the early two th- from the 2000s. And this week, as you can see, it is lost in translation. And boy, do I have a lot to say about this movie. I have a lot to say. But before we get there, (laughs) we have so much else to talk about, about what did we watch this week? And Jeremy, I must know, (laughs) what did you watch this week? Thank you for asking. (laughs) Bryn, (laughs) I have had family in town, Mm. uh, family who I don't get to see very often. My brother and his wife and kids were in town visiting and... um, didn't really have a lot of time to catch a lot of movies. So my movies this week that I'd like to talk about, number one is the Mets game. <laughs> we went to a Mets <laughs> game. Uh, they played the they played the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. It was the last game of the series. Incredible win by the Mighty Mets. Nice. Uh, we had the... Uh, I'm only, I like to root for the Yankees mm-hmm. primarily, but I love the Mets as well because yeah, I like there's nothing wrong with that i, I don't give a shit <laughs> i grew up here we, we my family we are technically we are culturally mets fans but of we've course, all rooted for the yankees at some point if the yankees are in the world series you got the mets the not yeah, you got it and and th- there was a time period where the yankees were just a very good and watchable team and it was just very fun to enjoy them and there's nothing wrong with that because these aren't like orthodox religions you know we They're don't also, have like blood feuds with each other i've always been the thing that I realized recently is that there's no ideology. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's nothing. Yeah, it's like not the- like <laughs> it's not like Celtic and Rangers where it's like Catholic and Protestant, right. Like and and who controls the city and who you know, like it, it's nothing like that at all. It's literally just like, do you live in Manhattan or Long Island or the Bronx? Yeah, yeah, and it's like. I feel like there. Some people might argue like the Mets, like the I, the Yankees are like the bad. Like rich team and yeah, the they're Mets, the rich but they're team like or whatever. They're all fucking rich. They're all fucking rich. It's Major League Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Get so, over yourselves. Right, so how was it? It was great. It was incredible. City, City Field, yeah. It was uh, uh, what's his name? Degrom, uh, Degrom, Degrom, Degrom. I think is the pitcher. It was a pitcher who just came back from injury. Uh, one of the best pitchers in in the league right now. Back from injury, pitched uh, six innings of a perfect game. <laughs> 
very very fun to well, watch. Like almost a no hitter. It was it was uh, it wasn't a no hitter. It was a perfect game. Um, I don't know the difference. No hitter is when nobody actually hits the ball. It's all. Uh, it, I believe it's all strikeouts and fouls. Yeah. Um, nobody is caught out. Um, oh, perfect game allows for for caught out. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, so it was six innings of perfect game, and then he walked a guy, uh, and that ended it. Dang. And then he uh, uh, then he gave up a two run home run and it got taken out of the game. Oof, um, oof. But uh, incredible game, very fun to watch. But they still won. They still won. My nephews had a fantastic time. They are hardcore Houston Astros fans. <laughs> So it was like it was a tough pill to swallow for them to have fun at a Mets game, but they had a very fun time. Oh, but um, yeah, the Astros aren't playing, so okay. exactly. So who cares? But mm. well, but they're little kids, so it means a lot to them. Uh, so to have had fun at the Mets game and to have you know uh, gotten you know a wave from Mister Met was really big for them. Big baseball head guy, it's a good big guy. baseball head guy. He invented baseball. <laughs> it's a, it's his Met. family recipe. Uh, <laughs> And there's a guy, uh, there's a guy in the Mets right now, um, Edwin Diaz, who is one of the best uh, closing pitchers in the game right now, right? Oh, cool. So he he plays the last inning in the game, seals the deal for everybody, strikes out the last three guys. That's his whole job for the night, right? Uh, one of the one of the greatest and most electrifying things in baseball right now is his walkout when he gets oh. onto the field when they call him out. He has this song that's like, it's like a it's like a gay techno song <laughs> with really jaunty Latin horns over it. Oh, and it's just this like really is it like a bachata song. It's no, it's like it's it really is like a club song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's just like. <laughs> it's like really goofy and really jaunty and Do you really know what silly. song it is? It's some some like, you know, Dutch DJ guy, like DJ sure. uh, DJ Skullface <laughs> whatever sort of thing. Uh and um but it is so fun because it's like <laughs> It, it, the whole audience is just doing like air trumpet <laughs> like his you know they do like little videos on the jumbotron of like the player like you know lining up a bat or whatever with sure, their name yeah. and it's like epic slow motion and whatever and like his is just him doing the air trumpet and like shaking his ass it's so <laughs> fucking funny and what's even funnier is that it's like deeply intimidating like sure, yeah. you're the other team and you see just like this loud horn and this guy shaking his ass on the fucking <laughs> on the jumbotron and the whole audience just doing fake horns and shit <laughs> like oh fucking god Fuck. damn it <laughs> we're dead man <laughs> which is funny because you traditionally be really spiteful you must be like i'm going to hit a home run yeah yeah, this yeah, motherfucker. yeah you're not because he's so good <laughs> You're not gonna do it. Uh, it's funny because, like, traditionally, like the walk-off music for the walkout music for for closers is like, you know, Mariano Rivera would walk out to like Enter Sandman, you right. know, like Back in Black, things like this, you know, like like tough yeah, yeah, songs yeah. that are just like you're fucking done. It's over. Like buddy, Enter yeah. Sandman is a great one because it's, it's like put you to sleep, sleep yeah. putting this game to bed. Edward <laughs> 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 
it fucking owns. And they like film him so epic. Like he's like the camera is like trailing in behind him. He's shrouded in shadow, walking out of the bullpen, like opening the door to like the roaring city field as the gayest horns you've ever heard play. That sounds awesome. It fucking rules. I love it. The Mets rule. No it's hate a very, mate, they. very fun season to like the Mets. By Mikey Woods. Mikey Woods. No Never heard that song. It's great. Um, you should put it in the show. I will. Uh, it'll be playing very softly behind us this whole time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so then the other movie that yeah, I saw this week. Uh, the other movie I saw this week was uh, Kendrick Lamar live at UBS Arena hey. in Long Island. Uh, the very same day. <laughs> what was the last time? That's great. Wait, wait, wait. I how went did, to the wait, wait. Met- how did Nico like the Mets? He had a great time. It was a good he time? He had a fantastic time. He couldn't really last very long. He was there for maybe an inning and a half. And then who took him home? Mo. Mo came. Mo doesn't care about baseball at all. So she okay. she drove in with him, uh, hung out for an inning and a half, had a hot dog, had a beer, and then brought him home. <laughs> and then came back for the show. Well, they're nowhere near each other. Oh, okay. City Field is all the way in Queens. I went home, picked her up, and then we drove to UBS Arena. Okay. Um, and we were late for Kendrick Lamar, so we only caught half of his set. Do you know what, like songs you missed like do you know i looked at the set list i missed uh a lot of, did you miss humble uh that i don't know i only really really know his uh his second and third albums uh good kid mad city and and um pimp pimp a butterfly. butterfly those are the two that i know really well i don't know oh. the later ones as well um but i missed like a lot of songs off of those oh no uh, and um but in any event i had a great time it was really cool i haven't seen like a big stadium show in ages i don't know now that i'm thinking about it i don't know if i ever have yeah like, i've i've lived here for 12 years i've never been to madison square garden mm-hmm. not to see a basketball game not to see a show it's crazy it's really fun it's cool it's interesting. We were talking off mic about like the big pageantry of it, the big like crazy, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, like Broadway theatrics of it all. He had nine semi trucks fucking parked outside just for his shit because he's got like this big stage that goes out into the middle of the arena. Yeah. He's got this like fucking glass cube that he's in for part of it that floats up into the sky and spins around. He's got like 10 or 11 different backup dancer people who each have like nine or ten different costumes that they're changing in and out of he's got like these crazy light boxes that hang from the ceiling that come down into different formations all sorts of shit that's so pyrotechnics all uh, the works you know And, and and it's interesting to see that kind of a show when you're so used to small venues and i am <laughs> you like i it's 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 such an unfamiliar experience to be in a setting where you're seeing a band you're seeing music and there's not even the slightest faintest pretense of calling out a song you want to hear you know oh, what I yeah. mean? no you're not everybody gonna... does that at a regular show you call it like during like lulls in the performance you're like play whatever yeah. you know nobody's doing that here because you see what he does and you're just like there's no way he's got all the shit this for that. This is a movie I'm yeah. watching. I it. can't. I did, how could he possibly? <laughs> <laughs> he's not. Yeah. There's a whole like. There's yeah, he, scene, he doesn't, there's he doesn't set have changes. like. The, he doesn't have the fucking the 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 fire you know bespoke for 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 this song. Yeah. He's, he's gonna play what he wants to play, and that's it. Like. <laughs> you're gonna see this show, and then you're gonna leave. <laughs> yeah. 
So it was fucking sick. It was really good. He's gotten a lot better since the last time I saw him. Oh, you've seen him twice. Yeah, I saw him once in a similarly weird situation where like I lucked in. A friend of mine was working for a company that was like putting on music festivals and mm. um, we got to see him at Panorama, which was on Randall's Island. You were there? Uh-huh. No, I wasn't there that day, but I was there the last day. Okay. I was there for all the days because oh. we got we got this crazy backstage experience for it where we got to like, there was like a whole secret like area with like all the food vendors had like a second version that was in this like little secret back area. What? Where like there was tons of like tables and like shades and whatever to hang out at. That sounds cool. And then we got to like be backstage for everything but the headliners. So I got to okay. like watch Run the Jewels from like the side of the stage. That was mm-hmm. pretty tight. Oh, was it who I think it is then? <laughs> No, 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 it wasn't her. We, I don't think we were friends yet. Oh, um, well, no, it's just a friend of mine who works for the company that put on the put on the festival. But anyway, the point is that I saw I saw Kendrick Lamar there, and I remember being really disappointed and being like, "Damn, mm. man!" Like, it, it left me really bummed about hip hop overall because I was like, I love Kendrick Lamar so much, and I really love his albums. But he like he's like losing his breath. He's like missing bars all the time. He's oh, like, wild. He's like not really like performing very well. And I'm like, I'm like, I wonder if it's just like, is is it that hip hop is really more of a studio art than a performance art? He's like a like, good writer. Is it really that he's a really good writer and he's a really good producer and like his stuff comes together as a really cool piece? Yeah. But he can't reproduce it live mm-hmm. because he does too much, you know. And I was really, sure. I got really like spirally about it for a little while where I was like, I guess I just don't want to see hip hop anymore if that's the case. Cause like I like a live experience and if they're not going to be good live, then like I'm not going to go see them, you know? Sure. Although at the same time, Run the Jewels was incredible. They were great. Did you also see a uh, tribe called Quest? Uh, no. At Panorama? Uh, we might be talking about different years. Different years. That I, I went when I think it was, I don't remember when it was 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one before the pandemic. Then no, this was probably the year before. Oh, that. okay. Yeah, I saw Tribe Called Quest live last last show. I think last mm-hmm. New York show. Um, that was crazy. And then probably the biggest show I've ever seen was Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. Right after that, and they put on like a huge. They had huge TVs and all this weird lights and stuff. Yeah. Incredible show. Incre- amazing. Um, but yeah, yeah. I've never so anyway, seen, I mean, yeah, I've never so, seen Kendrick. So Kendrick was was pretty lousy then, and then I think we saw him in some sort of like TV thing, and we were like, "Damn, I guess that's just what he's like live." And then uh, we saw him this time, and he was fucking incredible. He's way better. Oh wow! So he's definitely at the very least like practicing, practicing, <laughs> and like prioritizing his live show a lot more. Because I mean, you're a fucking stadium act. You've got to put on a fucking show. You can't be charging those kind of prices. And I hear like festivals are hard. That and, like, too, I bet. Yeah, I feel like because you don't really. Although again, control... run the jewels were they were great. They right. were super but tight. Those guys are. That's their thing. Those guys are like down and dirty rappers. And like, they're yeah, they're like old guys who've been doing it for fucking heads, ever yeah. and like and I've heard them in interviews specifically talk about how like they prioritize rehearsing a lot so mm. that they cuz they're old guys and they feel self-conscious about that. So they're <laughs> like they're like we're we're here to fucking blow the young guys off the stage. And we're not going to mess up. Yeah. We're not going to flub our lines or whatever. Exactly. Well, that's cool. I wish I could go see a big. I, w- I should go see a big concert sometime. Yeah, you should. I. There's my a feeling is like. There's not that many bands I'd want to pay that much money for. That's the problem. Yeah. One is the Cure. I will see the Cure next time they play, mm-hmm. if they ever play again, in New York. 
The National I'd like to see. I I've, saw The National at, at that panorama as well. I've seen the national one time mm-hmm. in a f- small venue, like a long time ago. Um, and that was crazy, but I do love them very much. I'd also like to see Bonnie Vare once. Hmm. I've never seen him live, but now I'm sure it's have to go to Madison square garden or Barclays or whatever. I didn't know that that was how you pronounce his name for a very long time. I thought it was <laughs> Bon Iver. Bon Iver. No, yeah. it's Bonnie Vare. Cause uh, it's supposed to be good winter and good winter. Yeah. Which would be, bone hiver with an h oh he fucked it up he did it on purpose because he 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 shut up bone (laughs) (laughs) well he was he was sick with some sort of liver disease Mm. and he was watching a lot of northern exposure as he healed and then that show they say like bon hiver like good winter yeah um and then when he saw it written it like looked too much like he didn't want to be called bon hiver right which like sounded like liver to him and he was like ah so he took out the h still nobody says it right though no they I say can't bon imagine bon anybody bon says Iver. it right the first time they see because <laughs> they're not french yeah but i mean you should be tipped off by bone you it, know no you shouldn't it should be spelled bone like bones it should be spelled b-o-n-e bone it, it's not it's bon no but i'm saying if he wanted people <laughs> to read it right the first time oh, oh yeah you should spell it bone and then like, e- like e-e-v-a-i-r or like e-v-a-i-r or like e-a-v-r like eves right mm. like bone e-ver maybe <laughs> i think you'd be safer with e-e-v that would be A-I-R. that would be kind of a sick name if it was bone with <laughs> v-o-n-e bone bear. i'd be like ooh, spooky <laughs> 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 this guy is he's like a skeleton this guy's like a skeleton <laughs> well anyway what did you watch this week oh what did i watch this week okay um i watched three things uh i'm gonna mention the first two i know we're gonna talk a little bit longer about the last one mm-hmm. so the in order of um in reverse order of how much i want to talk about them uh, i watched the new beavers and butthead mm-hmm. uh there are three new episodes okay that just came out good um hilarious great just very funny stuff honestly Maybe even fun. I mean, maybe it was because I was it was late and I was really high, but like significantly, almost I would say more funny than the movie. The movie okay. was pretty funny. This was just like there's no pretense to this. It's just more Beavis and Butthead, right? Like they don't even the animation is better, um, and they're able to do more fun things because the animation is better, um. So what are they doing? Are they like watching just stuff? stupid bullshit? Like there's one episode where it's just like they go, they, they accidentally, these girls like ask them, they need four people to do an escape room. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, Hey, you two, will you come do an escape room with us? And they're like, sure. And then they're like, they go and get locked in a bathroom. And okay. the whole episode is them <laughs> trying to get out of the bathroom. Okay. Um, and then, so they're watching music videos but they're like weird music videos that are like stupid country music. Okay. And then they're also reacting to YouTube videos. And right. like the funniest one is the ASMR one where they're just like whispering and Beavis is like, this video is giving me wood. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny too. Cause I just realized that like reacts videos are such a big thing. Yeah. And they just like invented that. Yeah. And so it's just Beavis and Butthead doing like, making fun of bts and stuff that's so funny um it, hell th- yeah there's literally it's not updated like uh-huh. it still feels like it's supposed to be the 90s because <laughs> they like don't have phones right <laughs> so it's they're not even making 
any commentary. It's just more stupid. Yeah, it's just like Escape Room, I guess, is a more modern thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it's very funny. Um, Watch it if you like Beavis and Butthead. Um, Where is it now? I have no idea. Oh, Paramount Plus. Um, I'll download it. Yes, that's what I did. Um, don't pay these companies. No. I don't get don't. I'm not getting Paramount Plus. What, yeah, could, what else you. could possibly be on that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to look. Um, and then the other thing I watched that I wanted to mention was uh, the, for the very first time in my life, I watched The Terminator. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about how I have seen Terminator 2. Yeah. But I don't know for sure that I've seen Terminator 1. I definitely hadn't. Uh-huh. I've definitely seen Terminator 2 um, many times. Um, and my boyfriend was just like, hey, I've been wanting to watch Terminator. I was like, what? Why? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know. I just thought about it today and I want to watch it. And I was like, okay, I've never seen it. And he was like, what? You got to watch it. So we yeah. watched it. Um, it's fun. It's a fun <laughs> movie. Uh, that's it. That's all I really have to say about <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> it, it. It's I, very funny as guess, like a film franchise to have like a bad guy who just people like too much. So you're like, he's a good guy now. Oh, here's what I'll say about it. Uh, Arnold is nothing in this movie. He's not that magnetic. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just a guy. He's just too cool. He's, he's kind of cool, but he's like sort of just, he, I didn't really feel it was very brooding or tense. Like it's a, it's basically a slasher movie, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. I thought it was cool that it's like, it's not complicated. It's just like this guy comes back. He's got to stop the other guy who's coming back to kill this girl. Mm-hmm. And he's going around killing all the all of these women also named whatever her name is. Um, Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. <laughs> um, he's like going around LA killing every Sarah Connor. Mm-hmm. And you see like three of them before he gets to her. And she's like watching it on the news. She's like, oh no, everyone with my name is dying. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? And then this like, she's like in a club and then he comes to kill her and then and then the the other guy is like protecting her and at first she's like oh no you're all so crazy and then she's not sure if she's crazy they catch him and she's like watching the cops interview him and she starts to believe him it's it's very weirdly kind of formulaic but like pretty cool uh, really nice to watch the best part of the movie though is and i've heard people talk shit on this part of the movie but i liked it is uh at the end of the movie arnold gets caught on fire and then he's just a metal skeleton. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking of bones, uh, <laughs> he's just a cute metal skeleton like a Jason the Argonauts monster. Yeah. So he's not scary at all. He doesn't have a gun. <laughs> he's just like walking around slowly with red eyes. It's just like <laughs> you can't help but imagine the Skeletor voice. Uh, <laughs> like, I'll get you, John <laughs> Connor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then they fight him off in this like sort of elaborate like machine chase thing yeah uh and that's like all claymation and fun practical effects yeah you know what i just watched recently movie. speaking of metal skeleton stuff is uh uh pete holmes uh the comedian pete holmes used yeah. to have a, a talk show and they did like a series of sketches where he's uh professor x and he's like he's like <laughs> like uh firing x-men Okay. for being like not helpful to the team or whatever and it's very fun all of them are very funny sure. i would recommend watching any of them but there was one that he just posted on his instagram that was uh him meeting with magneto and like they're roasting each other and there's one joke that's so funny where he's like 
after they like roast each other a few times about what they look like and whatever he's like put it there old friend and they like shake hands and then with his other hand he like slaps a magnet onto his onto his helmet with like a <laughs> drawing that a child made <laughs> like he's a fridge yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking funny <laughs> oh that's good all of them are so damn good though dude so funny so the last thing i watched yeah. was the thing you also watched mm-hmm. that we want to talk about yeah nathan fielder's the rehearsal the rehearsal so i've not really seen much nathan for you mm, me neither um i've seen like maybe three episodes mm. i've watched i tried to watch the first part of it and i honestly got a little sad i like there's the one where he's like trying to help a santa claus that was just like too much of a bummer for me i couldn't really find it that funny yeah um the other one i've seen where it's like he recreates it's most like the rehearsal actually he like recreates a bar or like he he's helping a bar and so he like films one of the nights oh it's so you can smoke in the bar he makes it a oh it's like a play yeah right? play yeah, yeah. That one's so weird, and I really liked that. I one. love those things. Like I, I've seen the one with like dumb Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So he, I, I knew that he was weird, and I knew he was awkward, and I didn't know what to expect. I literally knew nothing about this show, going into it. Mm-hmm. And after the first episode, I was like, "This is insane." Yeah. And then after the second episode, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> uh, and I don't know. How, I would say if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the show, maybe skip ahead yeah. to the. At least the 30 minute, 35 minute mark. Yeah. And um, don't listen to this. Just watch it. It's really good. Um, did you like it? I love it. Okay. I think it's, it's incredible. Incre- it's, am- it's amazing. It would be as though Synecdoche, New York was real. <laughs> I think the most recent episode wasn't as funny. It's not. It's getting less and less funny. Yeah. It's getting more like actually upset, like strange and, yeah. and awkward, which I like. And it, and it kind of feels like it's, it's you know, it's like drawing back the arrow to let it go, right? It kind of feels like it's leading to something way funnier. Yeah. But the most recent episode involves like his, you know, he's... So if, you, <laughs> if, if by chance you're not watching the show... And you're not skipping ahead. And you're not skipping ahead and you just want to know what the story of it is. It's that Nathan Fielder is helping people with problems in their lives by creating really insanely elaborate, uh, like, rehearsal... Stage... Like, like staged uh, simulations it, <laughs> of the thing that they're doing. So, is, oh, yeah, Angela calls it... It's a simulation. It's a simulation. experience. So the first episode is the most straightforward one, which makes sense to have done. Yeah. Because it's like you need to explain this premise before because it goes so... Like it, it, <laughs> it, it collapses inward on itself so spectacularly, so soon, too. so soon that you really had to have that one up top. That's just like here's just basically what the thing is that we're doing <laughs> before we do a million iterations of it, right? Uh, so th- the idea is like this guy uh, has like a secret that he's kept from his friends, and he wants to confess it to them. So Nathan creates this you know replica of the bar that he hangs out with ha- hangs out at, which is the alligator bar, which we talked about last week, uh, where I did comedy open mics. Um, Wait, why did we talk about that last week? Cause, um, Josiah had watched it. Oh yeah. He said there was something about the alligator lounge and I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So he, he creates a perfect, and I mean, perfect as again, Incredible, as yeah. somebody who hung out there a lot doing comedy <laughs> open mics, as somebody who watched David Spector get punched in the face by a guy playing pool once there. <laughs> as somebody who went to that trivia many times. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, it's he, a perfect he replica. He created a per- actually perfect replica of the bar. 
Uh, and, I mean, he didn't do it. His team his did. His team but... did it. Whatever. The, you know, he, yeah, he the oversaw it. He's like Beyonce, you know? Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> he's he, the vision. He is like Beyonce. He's like Beyonce for comedy. <laughs> and and um, so they create a perfect replica of the bar and they hire actors to be his friends and they run through all these different scenarios of different ways that it could happen and they help him to, to come up with the way that he's going to do the thing that he's going to do, right? Yeah, which is admit to his friend that he doesn't have a master's degree. He doesn't degree. have a master's degree, but that he's been lying about it all these years. Yeah. And um, and then after that, he's helping a woman who wants to uh, become a parent uh, simulate the experience of being a parent. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of seemingly the season arc, right, is helping right. this woman. And um, it's insane. It's it's it, it's it. <laughs> there's a million there's a million like little moving parts within this bigger moving thing. Right. Right. Uh, and, and in the most recent episode, his his simulated son became a teenager uh, and because he went away on business for a couple of days, because it's like he ages every day. Uh, so because Nathan went away on business for like a few days, his son aged like nine years. Right. Uh, and so now his son like like resents him and like ODs and like, has to go to the hospital. And all this stuff is in the simulation. So none of this is really happening. No, but, uh, but Nathan is acting as though it is. Yeah. For some reason. It's... Um, it's so insane because there the more you watch it the more stuff starts to feel less clear mm-hmm. like what exactly is the show yeah and what are we what is the rehearsal for now yes and what uh, is the <laughs> what is the point what are you getting at i think this i think he's using the rehearsal to like like it's 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 each episode, each little segment of it seemingly is like, is, is talking about a different thing. Right. And, and (laughs) I think this most recent episode where he, he establishes an acting school and he's teaching people how to act in the simulations to then, you know, do more simulations with those people. Right. My favorite part of this episode is he's doing a simulation of the acting school that he's created and behaving as one of the guys in there and he's sort of overdubbing what he's thinking at the moment. And he says, what kind of show these are HBO cameras. Why are you filming the rehearsal? of yeah. the sh- <laughs> Like, <laughs> why are you filming the training? It's, and it's like, wait, why was he filming the training? And he's like, and he's, <laughs> and he's like looking into the camera as he's, as he's doing it. It's very funny. But I think that, I think that kind of what he's driving at in this episode is kind of about like the cravenness of actors and like, the, yeah. and like the desperation of actors trying to have their first big break and trying to b- become professionals at it. Because like the whole episode is about basically just like getting actors together in a room and being like, I want you to illegally stalk people and like put people in really uncomfortable positions and, yeah. and get to know people in a way that they're definitely not comfortable with you getting to know them, do it without their consent. And nobody pushes back on him at all. Not even a, one well, of them even says like, I broke into their house or something like that. <laughs> or no, just got into their house. I think yeah. she was invited in, but like, like a vampire <laughs> and, and, and everybody is like, Ooh, wow. Great. That's so Good exciting. Job, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, uh, just bonkers and one of the strangest things i've ever seen on television uh and would require does i think does require quite a bit of a budget yeah like this isn't something you could have done without a hbo money right um 
and him reflecting on what he very well knows he's doing out of character or in a different character, I should say, as being like, like just the fact that I have HBO behind me allows me to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. And I know that, but he's realizing it as a different character. Right. Um, as the person being manipulated, um, it's just so fascinating. Um, yeah, and it's 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 so cool because it's like it's a really rare type of show where you just truly have no idea where it's going. I don't know. I don't know where There's it's going. There's only two episodes left. I don't know what this all is for. I don't know what it's leading to. I don't know what the bigger point is. If there's a bigger point, I have no I idea. I don't even know if I care if there's a bigger point. I don't even point. know, like, just nuts and bolts. Like, I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen in the next episode. Like, <sighs> It's called Apocalyptic, uh, Apocalypto is the name of the episode. Yeah. Title. And what's been interesting, though, I haven't really looked at the, the discourse, mm-hmm. but I know that when the show started, there was discourse. There is. Yeah, there um, is definitely discourse. And I, and I didn't read any of it. Cause don't, because it's not worth it. Right. But it's really interesting because it seems like people are uncomfortable with some of the things he, quote unquote, is making people do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the point, right? What, First of all, that's... Having, having worked on a, quote unquote, reality television show for five years... Uh, me personally mm-hmm. uh every show is worse than this like every show is less real yeah and more manipulative more specifically manipulative mm-hmm. about what they're showing you and what they're asking people to do and yeah. lie about to the cameras um and what's f- what's fascinating about this one is that he's just showing you that part Right. He's showing you how a reality show is made from behind. Mm-hmm. He's being like, well, I, I'm not going to tell him that because why would I tell him that or whatever? Man, the moment when the, when the, when the fake core like, is performing b- disappointment at Nathan. Oh, yeah. Took my fucking breath away. <laughs> like, he's like, you fuck this up for me, man. And like, Nathan is like almost crying and then it cuts back to him. I just I I can't I can't believe how much juice they get out of that exact same joke all the time (laughs) of just like doing the cut to the fake one and then the cut to the real one. How many times that's funny is insane. But (laughs) funny and disorienting and jarring of it's because you're like, wait, which reality is this? And 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 how many of these has he done? You know, because it's like every time, like the joke of it, seemingly every single time you do that cutaway is like. Like, just in case you forgot, I rehearse everything. Because, like, his character <laughs> in the show is, like, I rehearse absolutely everything I do like this. Yeah. Which implies that he has, like, some infinite source of revenue to do it. <laughs> that he's, like, created New York City and is, like, doing his whole life first yeah. before he can control. But so it's he- just so funny every time that you're like, oh, of course he's in a rehearsal. <laughs> 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 what is it? Door City in here? <laughs> God damn. That, so... That's an interesting thing, too, is that at the end of that episode, I was like, wait, did he really rehearse it or does he meet with Core and then recreate it and then tell him that he did that? And I think that there's something going on with when things happen. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, of course, it's I mean, it's a TV show. So, I mean, there is some element of that. But I, I 
100% believe like I, I don't think he really rehearsed it the way that he says he rehearsed it but I do think that he built it ahead of time because of I course. think that I think that that like the ethics of the show like I I, I really <laughs> think that like he believes firmly that like if he didn't intrude on his privacy and make the replica of his of his home then he's not really doing the show yeah you know what i mean like so much of what the show is about is the invasion of people's privacy (laughs) that i think like it would feel like he's faking the funk if he didn't actually get the what did he do he got like a the um he got like the The exterminator to go in and and, like take uh, pictures they were like checking his gas they mm-hmm. like look in the stove and stuff and then they make a 3d model of his house yeah um and then uh at the very end in the last episode the paramedics are two of the students from L- <laughs> the la <laughs> workshop meaning that he flew them there yeah to well, that do was that because that was the premise right was that he he establishes the la school right to feed into this project yes <laughs> and so it works so of he course does. he had to do that yeah. <laughs> otherwise the joke is you know it's it's mind-bending uh it's fu- it's very funny it's shocking i don't know what to really make of it yet yeah and i'm very excited to talk about it in two weeks when it's over yeah um i hope everyone is mad about it <laughs> like I hope that whatever the ending is, no one's happy. Yeah. Like the people who think he's being an abuser or whatever, and the people who think it's genius, I hope they're all mad. Yep. <laughs> that would be perfect. That would be. I don't know how, but I think some. I have faith in him. I think he'll figure it out. I have faith that he will figure out some way to lie to me personally, <laughs> <laughs> and that at the end he'll be like, "All of this was fake" or something. You know, like. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I've heard. I've heard that like an HBO exec is involved at some point. (laughs) Really? (laughs) But I don't know how. (laughs) That's very good. Um, Um, Yeah. I said on the bonus, but I said to you um, that when they sent out the show for review, you know, for to out media outlets, they sent only the first five episodes and not the sixth. So the last, the the season finale is, completely unknown there's no they did not take the risk of anybody spoiling it yeah so, so whatever it is it's, there's something to spoil there's something to spoil yeah and uh, that's very fun uh so watch the show get spoiled with us in real time yes um it's a great great show aka not getting spoiled uh, another another <laughs> yes another thing that uh hbo needs to survive for Winning time and the rehearsal needs to go on for like that's right. And I do need to see the next iteration of of um, whatever Fielder's doing. Well, I was gonna say, um, was it White Lotus? Oh yeah, yeah, L- White Lotus season two. Also, is that what it was happen. called, White Lotus? Yeah, yeah, the show we really liked. Yeah, I don't know why I was gonna say Black Lotus. That's a magic card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, on that note, uh, let's get to the movie, the feature presentation. Yes. It is called Loss in Translation, directed by Sofia Coppola from 2003, starring Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray. Yes, this is our second appearance for, for Scarlett Johansson. Oh, yeah. A, a pattern to note in our cartography. She is a very, in, it, like, it's been a very interesting pattern, right? Because you get Margot, and then you get Enid, mm-hmm. and now you get Charlotte. 
Yes. Um, and there is a, 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 a formation of a genre of woman. Yes. I was going to say the thing that I noticed in Charlotte as it relates to the broader project is Charlotte is kind of like the direct middle point between Margot and whatever the fuck Natalie Portman's name is in Garden State. Right. She's kind of, she's, she's, she's still cynical Gen Xer, you know, you know, depressed and mysterious and whatever, but she's veering more towards manic pixie dream girl. Like she's getting closer to it. That's sort of her function in the movie, Mm -hmm. even though she's kind of the main character even though she doesn't have a character. Right. Um, why don't you run down the very brief amount of story there is in this movie? Oh, sure. So uh, <laughs> Bill Murray is Bill Murray. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he is. he's uh, he's an aging movie star. And uh, in, in, in the United States, he's in Japan on business. He's the face of a whiskey brand. And they're doing some pictures and commercials with him. He's there for business. Scarlett Johansson is the hot young wife of a celebrity photographer who is there because she's got nothing else going on in her life. Giovanna Ribisi, yeah. Yeah, uh, so she she went along with him uh, on his business trip to go take pictures of a band. Uh, and, and so they're both in this hotel in Tokyo and they both are feeling very uh, sad and isolated because they're surrounded by Japanese people. Yeah, that's and the main. They their hate main. It. <laughs> <laughs> and, their uh, main issue with their main issue their is they're in Japan and they're <laughs> surrounded by Japanese people. And boy, doesn't that suck! That fucking sucks. And Scarlett Johansson is like sad that her husband, I guess, like wears different clothes now or something. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> yep. She maybe got married too young, I guess, is kind of the the bigger s- statement. Sure. And then um, Bill Murray is sad because he's like ruining his relationship with his wife and children, but also doesn't seem to actually care except when it suits him to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the two of them are sad for a while. Uh, they mope for a while and then they meet each other and they start to become friends and then they start to go party in Japan and have fun together. They become pretty tight and then um, uh, and then Bill Murray fucks the singer and ScarJo gets mad at him and uh, for some reason for some, she gets jealous because I mean it's pretty clear that they're starting to like romantically maybe be interested in each other. It kind of becomes like a will they won't they. She gets jealous because he <laughs> fucked the singer, but then it doesn't matter. And then uh, Bill Murray has to leave and uh, she's sad about it. And then they kiss and then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, had you seen this movie before? No. You'd never seen this? Mm-mm. Okay. That's very interesting. I had seen this movie when you're supposed to see it. Right. Which is a teenager. Yes. You see it when when it came out. I was in high school. Um, and I hated it Okay. when I was a kid. Um, my main, I, I, I was, my big thing I was trying to figure out this go around is why did I hate it as a kid? Cause I couldn't really remember. I didn't have much of a political take on it. Yeah. I think my main, my main thing that I didn't like about it was a, it's boring, mm-hmm. which it still is. Yes. Um, and B, I don't think either of them are good people. No. And I think at the time I was like, just do anything with your life. Have fun. Have fun. You're in Tokyo. You, You're it, in one of the why are you one of the at, great cities of the world. Why are you mad at your boyfriend at all? 
What did he do? What did he do? You never say. You just feel disconnected from him. But that's not really explained either, because at least in Garden State... So this is of a lineage of of the movies we're talking about, Mm -hmm. where someone's sad for some alienated reason. But usually there's a reason. Yeah. This movie, it it it's so it's so specific like she's literally like sitting and crying and like she the, early on in the movie she calls her friend or something or her mom i couldn't exactly get, i think it's her mom is that her mom um she's literally crying and can't keep herself together and the reason she's crying is because she went to a, a a temple and quote unquote didn't feel anything mm-hmm. and she doesn't know what to do yeah and it's like so what i don't so are you depressed but then like the movie you kind of are expected to be like okay so she's depressed like medically but usually that's like there's pills or she's not taking her pill you know like in garden state at this time no i don't i i i feel like i get why they're both sad like and and i even to some extent even though like it's hammy as fuck and like really over the top i understand the idea of feeling isolated where they are right the like because scarlet's character is like cooped up in this hotel room she doesn't have to be but she went on this basically <laughs> <She's> not <laughs> the impression <laughs> i get from her is that she you know she got married too young she didn't need to get married right out of college but she did because she likes this guy and whatever and sure. now she's starting to regret it because who the fuck hasn't been in a relationship in their early 20s that they suddenly are like wait i don't want to be in this relationship anymore sure of course but she got married so now there's a whole lot of like paperwork that comes along with that decision you know there's a lot I more guess. shit that comes along with it but you're she's also so selfish yeah why would she even give a shit about that that much i don't I don't, that's not really sold to me either. No, but I mean, I, I, at least like I get it, right? I get, I get like, I've known people like this, right? I've known (laughs) people who've been in a relationship that they feel trapped in and they feel sad about it, right? And so she went along on this trip, maybe to try to like get a little bit of juice back into the relationship or maybe, you know, she really did think like, oh, we'll have fun in Japan and then he has to work all the time. So she's like, well, shit, I guess I'm alone having fun in Japan. Right. And then she's like, oh, shit, nobody speaks English. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. There's nothing written <laughs> in English anywhere. Right. I'm like kind of like aimlessly, you know, trying to make my way around this the city I don't understand. And I'm here for a fucking long time. <laughs> like, right. I can get I, I can understand starting to feel depressed in that in that setting. Bill Murray, he's, you know, crashing his fucking the only thing that matters you know <laughs> like his family is just like crashing around him and <laughs> he is but it, that's he's also not doing what he needs to do to make it work and in fact at the end of it actively is doing what will you know really destroy his family yeah fucking a teenager or fucking a, a, teenage, tw- a 20 year old but she is a teenager in real life that's right <laughs> she's 17 when this movie is made that's fucked up <laughs> <laughs> well Blame Sofia Coppola. Yeah, I um, will. I I also I blame her for so many things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but in any event, I I I get their starting point. Okay. I I, I can appreciate. You'll that. accept the, the. I'll accept the premise of the film. Sure. Uh, however, I, I, I maybe don't even do that, but I hear you. However, what I don't accept is the way that japan is treated and i I, I don't want to be insanely racist i, I don't want to be a weeb about it here <laughs> but i mean god damn dude like i i wrote a little letterboxed uh, review of it where oh, i said that it's it's like the revenant if the snow was japanese people <laughs> 
it's just like the whole the whole struggle of this movie the antagonist of this movie is the nation of japan <laughs> like all that this is it's it's a man versus wild story about japan and <laughs> japanese people and like and, and and in the most like stunningly racist way at times yeah where like they're constantly like like doing the r and l that, thing the they're constantly is, like, making the jokes about joke. that it's the only joke but additionally like it's not just a joke it's also sometimes a genuine point of like he doesn't understand what somebody's saying and he's right. like i don't understand what you're saying i don't understand i don't understand but you know to switch them there's all these jokes about like him being so much taller than the japanese people like everything is like so bizarre and otherworldly it's- and like it, it it feels like they're animals, you know. It like it yeah. really feels like they're supposed to be animals, and like or or a force of nature, you know. Like they're not people. That's for damn sure. Right, and I feel like I I feel like there was some later. It, the, the Wikipedia for this movie is infuriating mm-hmm. because there's just like all this. <laughs> there's a like three or four paragraph long analysis section mm-hmm. about like this feminist reading does this and this like Lacanian take shut the fuck up this, are you kidding me no it's i kind of want to read some of it because it's so infuriating uh this is a fucking emperor has no clothes situation mm-hmm. this is a racist dumb bitch who doesn't know <laughs> anything yeah he's literally only in the position she's in because her dad is one of the most famous filmmakers in america mm-hmm and has the opportunity to make a movie uh, and then makes a movie about being a dumb bitch <laughs> and being racist. Uh, and everyone is looking at it like, wow, what, what a piece of art. Like, what does it mean? And it's like, it literally doesn't mean anything. Okay. The film's writer-director, Sofia Coppola, has described Lost in Translation as a story about, quote, things being disconnected and looking for moments of connection. Things a perspective that has been shared by critics and scholars. No kidding. Yeah. In a cultural sense, Bob and Charlotte are disoriented by feelings of jet lag and culture shock as a result of foreign travel to Japan. Bob is bewildered by his interactions with a Japanese commercial director whom he cannot understand, realizing yeah. that the meaning of his communication is, quote, lost in translation by an interpreter. No wow. shit. No kidding. Moreover, both are sleepless from a change in time zone, choosing to cope with their wakefulness by making late night visits to the hotel bar. Such feelings provoke, provoke a sense of estrangement from their environment, but they also exacerbate deeper experiences of alienation and disconnection in their lives. Bob and Charlotte are both <laughs> in troubled marriages and facing similar crises of identity. Charlotte is unsure of what to do with her life and questions what role she should embrace in the world, while Bob is invariably reminded of his fading stature as a movie star and feels disassociated from the identity by which he is already defined. Now listen to this. The film's opening shot has been another point of discussion among critics and scholars. The 36-second shot, which features Charlotte's backside as she lies on the bed wearing transparent paper. I wonder why they did that. I wonder what that means. Photorealistic <laughs> paintings by John Kayseri. Shut the fuck up. It is a hot woman's ass. That is what that shot is. Well, uh, I'll skip ahead. Uh, <laughs> Shut the fuck up. 
<laughs> While some have described it as a foreshadowing of a romance between Bob and Charlotte, the film historian Wendy Haslam argues that Coppola's intention with this opening shot appears to be to defy taboos <laughs> and to undermine expectations surrounding what might be considered the money shot in more traditionally <laughs> exploitative cinema. Correspondingly, the academic Maria of San Filippo maintains that Coppola doesn't seem to be making a statement at all beyond a sort of endorsement of beauty for beauty's sake. King notes that the image contains both subtle and obvious appeal and it's a combination of aesthetic and erotic qualities. I want to murder everyone in this fucking... I think that is so fucking funny because it's literally just a hot actor's ass that's all it is <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of the scene in seinfeld when they're looking at the kramer uh-huh. and they're like he's a brute yeah, yeah. i love him <laughs> it's like it's a picture of an ass you're looking at a picture of an ass and being like oh my god you're looking what, at what does this say lacanian wise wh- like, you're opening your film on a shot of the one of the most famously hot women in hollywood's <laughs> ass well, she wasn't in, a- <laughs> in 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 see-through underwear by the way 17 year old girl's ass yeah who jeremy thinks is very hot i think she's very hot <laughs> I, I i just I, I i i can't imagine looking at that and being like i wonder what it means uh, i can tell you exactly what it means people will watch your movie yes. because there's a hot woman's ass in it this is, this is a woman who grew up being forced to watch 70s french films yeah and is like what is cool is film nicely lit sexy ladies yes because she didn't understand anything about what eric romer was saying because she was a child mm-hmm. or whatever any of the french new wave freaks were doing some of them are good some of them are just languishing in like hot women smoking or hot like yes. that, that's it that's most of what this movie is is hot woman smoking right and it's infuriating that this movie was ever considered good it's infuriating this movie was ever considered important or or or, or worth even watching yeah uh not only because it's boring and poorly written like especially the scenes where bill murray is talking to his wife on the phone are just like the most like childish version of marriage mm-hmm. where he, he's like, he's like, I want to eat better. I want to, I want to eat Japanese food. And she's like, why don't you stay there? And then you can eat it all of the time. And he's like, how are the kids? It's like, <laughs> they miss you, but they'll get over it. <laughs> that woman on the other end of the phone is the costume designer and has never acted in anything <laughs> before or since. She's just she just was like I need a woman to talk because mm-hmm. I don't care about this character whatsoever. Care, yeah. She's just supposed to be annoying. It's it's so lazy. Yeah, the only person who's kind of a character is I guess Bill Murray, right? Who is mostly just annoyed that he has to interact with Japanese people. Yes, and and annoyed that he has to ever care about his kids, except when he's able to talk about them in like a way that makes him sound like a cool heroic dad. Yeah. You know, there's, there's the scene where he's talking to Scarlett about his kids and he's like, you know, like when they're born, it like irreparably changes your life. And like everything that you thought you knew about yourself is just over. That part of your life is gone, which is true. Yeah. And what he says is true. Like he's like, and then you realize like they're actually incredible and they're the best people you've ever met in your life. And like, you couldn't even imagine a life without them. And you realize that like what you had before actually wasn't a life at all, and now this is a life. Uh-huh. And 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 he's right, and that resonates. Except that then he just like doesn't actually like 
the end of the movie like should have been him being like hey scarlet i gotta go i want to go see my kids fucking play or whatever <laughs> you know like yeah because they're little kids they're like, little kids he's missing their lives yeah and, and, and he, to, to fuck a 17 year old but also the timeline doesn't even really make any sense because he's only gone for a week yeah like wh- why would his wife give a shit like I guess even if they had the like a terrible is that he's like always gone i guess i guess but like not that's not really hit home mm-hmm. like he's someone who stayed with his wife and has children and, and like is gone for a week on work yeah it's like what is he not used to here <laughs> yeah like what what how has he not worked this out he's a famous movie star yeah <laughs> like why didn't he bring his kids He's rich. He's yeah. making $2 million for one week of work. Yeah, bring your kids to Japan. That sounds have cool. A, have a good time. They are sound old enough to be here. Yeah. It's ridiculous. The, and they don't have enough... The wife comes off as someone who cares. She's like constantly... Se- He's only gone for a week. She sends him three packages. Yeah. And it's like, okay, do you hate remodeling your house? What, this, it's a very childish idea of what adults go through. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that everything that she's writing for him is just shit she heard her dad say yeah and like doesn't understand emotionally doesn't understand uh, as an adult because she's a kid and she's a brat too because what she thinks scarlett johansson's like i guess arc or whatever it's whatever that's supposed to be uh this movie doesn't have they don't want anything that's the big problem is that she just like wants to want something that's not yeah. enough. Like she wants some connection in this like alienating situation that she's in. I guess. But then she's also like such a bitch. Like Anna Ferris is like, oh, hey, I'm a famous person. And she's immediately jealous of this guy she doesn't even like. Yeah. Right. She's married to him, but she's immediately jealous that she's there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess the idea is like. She like, you, makes fun of like the name that she's staying in the hotel under. And then her boyfriend's like, who cares? And she's like, why are you defending her? Yeah. It's like, it's the, the name that's specifically interesting though, because Anna Ferris is staying under a pseudonym of Evelyn, uh, woe or whatever. The guy who wrote fucking Brideshead revisited, mm-hmm. which is a highfalutin bullshit novel that isn't even good. Um, so she like knows who that person is, but for Anna Ferris to have put that down, she also must know who that person is. Yeah. A famous author, but she's like, he's a guy that doesn't make any sense. It's like, <laughs> what are you talking? Who cares? <laughs> That's obviously the joke, right? Yeah. Like, you're an idiot and a bitch. <laughs> and she's the main character. And she's the main character. And the film doesn't push back on this at all. And no, and- because you'd have to give her some sort of an arc in order to do that. The only reason that you're not on Giovanni Ribisi's side is because he seems kind of fake. Yeah. Like he's like clearly being ladder climbing or whatever and is like hanging out with a girl. He seems like he's having a fucking fun time in Japan, which is he's what everybody should do in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't get it. I don't like it. I think it's an okay movie at best. I, I can't even say that because like the there's no there's there's like 10 minute long segments where fucking nothing happens yeah like it's 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 some real bullshit it really some real real bullshit it really feels like a movie that is that is just like she's fascinated with these sort of like caricatures of japanese people Mm -hmm. like when she goes to the video game like the arcade and like 
there's just shots of people playing video games yeah and then like a shot of scarlett johansson smirking it's mm-hmm. like it's like she thinks Kuleshov effect is gonna work on you and you're gonna be like wow interesting i don't know what look at she, her she's interested in the video game i don't know what there's i'm supposed to be feeling and that's like most of the movie it's like she's watching like it's it's like dogs kid, it's, it's, it's like kids say the darndest things <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's watching dogs play and she's just like hmm. and you're watching this for five minutes it's long it's really long and boring it sucks and offensive i mean it's like i feel like there was some i feel like there was some discourse later on later like on Tumblr. not at the time that's for damn sure well, the, in the wikipedia it says that the the, the production company was like this is not going to play in japan like this is going to be offensive yeah and they still released it and it like a lot of the reviews were like, this is offensive yeah. and really racist. <laughs> and Sofia Coppola was like, what? I just love Japan. I just love Japan. This is about, it's a love letter to the Japanese. Yeah. Who aren't in the movie. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, yeah. So how does this fit into? So this is what I wanted to get into a little bit before we sign off is like, sorry, I'm so upset about this. Movie. <laughs> I think like, I think what I want to do is start to develop a bit of a checklist. Right. Okay. And I think there's things in this that we're kind of we're so like we talked about earlier, we're seeing the gravitation from Margot Tenenbaum to Natalie Portman. Um, again, I don't know what her character's name we'll is. Find in out State. Next week. Next week. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, but like other things that I'm seeing as a connection here, obviously, is the is the alienation and the search for connection in an alienating world. That's obviously yeah. that's what the movie's about. That's what all these movies are seemingly about. That's a big part of this. It's really uh, hard to not like. It's funny how I when we started this i didn't think about it that way it wasn't yeah. until royal tenenbaums i was like oh yeah these are all about they're that. kind of all about they're all that. about that and this is this is after 9 11 mm-hmm. so there's like this very political thing that has happened you're in japan a country that we colonized for decades and yeah. like basically turned into american culture not mentioned because she's an idiot and wouldn't know what to say if she even knew any of that mm-hmm. and this movie has that feeling but it's just because she's rich and doesn't see anything happening in her life that makes you can't i think this is an interesting time period where people at this level of of wealth just didn't even know what they would do later in their life because it's just like it feels like history was just in this bubble and it's like what could go on 20 years from now right and she's sort of recognizing that even though she's dumb, mm-hmm. but that that I think it's that writing feels stupid. Like a lot of th- after nine eleven, I think a lot of art felt worthless. Yes, and hard to really even say anything because now everyone realized they don't know what the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you either have to make political art, or you kind of just have to be really internal and examine your feelings about how trapped you are and i think this is definitely has that Mm. a thing that will be along in the next in in the rest of the series but it's just made by someone who's so out of touch that there's nothing to say except then i'm i feel sad Mm -hmm. um and i want to fuck an old guy for some reason i want to fuck an old guy for some reason definitely not my dad that's not who he represents Uh, i I didn't make two more movies about this that were about explicitly my my dad dad. (laughs) 
Um, another thing I'm starting to notice as a pattern is like what I'm going to start calling, I think, the sad guy money shot, which mm, is it's, yeah. it's a shot. It's a dead on shot of a man being sad in a interesting environment. It's just a framing that is like at least a little iconic. Yes, exactly. An, an iconic shot of a, of a man being sad. Yes. Yeah. So in this one, it's Bill Murray sitting on the bed. It's, it's the cover, it's the of, cover the, of the DVD. Is, I've always hated, made me hate the movie more mm-hmm. because... It's just not a good shot. It, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. It's whatever. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's just a man in a hotel room. Uh, in Royal Tenenbaums, it's uh, I'm going to say the the proto version of it is probably the mirror shot. Of course. Uh, and then in um, is there one in Ghost World? I feel like there must be, but I can't think of it. I I, 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 like... I had this revelation last night, and I had one for it, but I can't remember it. Uh, and then in Garden State, we have him uh, in the bathroom with the shirt that matches the wallpaper. Yeah, of course. Uh, but I think in, in Ghost World, that's the anomaly where Enid is the man. Mm. Like, Enid is the sad man. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, you know, uh, Steve Buscemi is sad in that movie, but it's he doesn't have the the alienated ennui. Like, he's yeah. having, like, kind of a... He's a loser, but he likes his life okay. Yeah. Uh, and his own, even when she fucks it up so hard that he'll never recover from it, he still seems kind of fine with it. Yeah. Um, I think her shot is like, there's a bunch of them, like her crying in the bed oh, from the, from above. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And her getting on the bus. Um, there's a couple ones of Enid, but... So another thing that's beginning to emerge that I'm interested to see where this goes throughout this is... Um, whiteness as a theme and i know it's 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 not exactly revolutionary to say that these movies are extremely white they are however what i'm beginning to notice is that whiteness as a concept is Mm -hmm. part of these movies like i was i was really surprised when we were watching royal tenenbaums when uh when royal starts calling him coltrane and whatever and like he he (laughs) explicitly says racist stuff to danny glover and it positions the Tenenbaums as specifically a white family. Of course. We are white mm-hmm. and capital W white. Like, yes. we're not black. There are no black people in our family. <laughs> like, so that's that's already positioning it. And then in, in Ghost World, we have, the, we have the racist art that we're kind of being like, wow, I can't believe people used to be racist like that. Yeah. As you live in, like, probably a very segregated part of your city where black people do not live. You, there's a maybe none except for the few at the, at the art at school the art show, yeah. and, and in her art class on summer school. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one or two. Yeah. Um, and, and then this is just a, this is just a hate piece. <laughs> it literally feels like, yeah, Mondo Kane levels of like yeah. xenophobia. Look at the Japanese. They eat dogs. The, I'm surprised that isn't in here. Like yeah, that's, right. I, I, oh yeah. I keep meaning to be like, there was some discourse later and i feel like even that's gotten pushback from like edgier people who are like it's 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 a you know it's a time it was a different time kind of thing it's like no no this is 2003 yeah no it was not a different time like that japanese people were not happy with this at the time um it was not a different time like that and it's so over the top it feels like fucking mind of mencia yeah like it's like Every single scene, the joke is that they switch the L's and the R's, mm-hmm. or they're short. 
or like or or like the i mean this is a joke that goes all the way back to like uh like old kung fu movies of like the guy saying something for a really long time and then oh yeah the translation being like yes right that's ancient that's an ancient joke it feels like breakfast at tiffany's level like rice patty hats big teeth glasses like it's it's absurd and i i can't imagine anybody watching this movie and not being shocked at how racist it is because if you think about the movie what you remember is like the kato 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 scene Mm -hmm. and it's like okay as if that was the only thing in the movie that was like a joke at like the japanese translation expense I think that's fine. Like it's a, it's a trans it's called lost in translation. You know, yeah. It's about like not being able to communicate with another culture. Yeah. Even if like, even if he was just confused by the RL thing a couple times, I'd even let that maybe slide a little bit, but like him actively engaging in making fun of that. Yeah. Does feel really, really fucked even for that time. It does. And also like the, the, when they go to lunch and it's like all the same picture yeah like yeah, you yeah. you must have made that like it wouldn't be the same picture like yeah. you made it stupider just so it would make it understandable that they're more confused and yeah. then they hate it because it's weird or whatever it's like <laughs> yeah why are you doing this that this country you supposedly love yeah it's not like you can't hire a fucking translator he's rich yeah he's also he's there rich. on a two million dollar job different translator Get a fucking tour guide you know so, anyway so it's racist it's stupid it's bad uh and it does fit inside I it very think, much does it i was watching it saying like oh garden state was literally just ripping this off in certain ways it definitely feels like it it feels very much like inspires, garden state was was going for this it, in new jersey it absolutely <laughs> inspired other people to make this vibe mm-hmm. like if if royal tenenbaums is the aesthetic and ghost world is the emotional like i would say almost like emotionally political like framework Mm -hmm. this is the vibe like this movie lays down and like plants a flag and it's like it is sort of brattily misunderstanding french new wave Mm -hmm. for and only seeing it as an aesthetic and removing anything interesting about the French New Wave, that's that's the that's the vibe of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting for that reason because, like, some of the most famous scenes in the movie, like when he whispers in her ear. Oh, I also wanted to mention that thing is she just didn't like what she wrote because it was stupid, and so she didn't record. She didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. and then Bill Murray just was like, "I'll whisper something in her ear." he just improvised that uh-huh. and then she's like okay i'll adr something later so she's and like, then she just didn't and then she just didn't because so like, uh, the 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 uh the dub thing says uh unintelligible <laughs> right and the thing is is like that's one of the things that people like were like "Ooh, so interesting a choice yeah and it's like she's just a bad writer and yeah. didn't know how to end the you want to you want to know about interesting choice bill murray kisses her passionately right <laughs> after that scarlett johansson didn't know that was happening oh. <laughs> that was not written that was improvised as well that's a 17 year old girl <laughs> he's like well i gotta get one in i gotta get I, one in <laughs> i gotta get one for billy <laughs> I came all the way out here. I came to Japan. <laughs> Billy gets one. 
What a fucking creep that guy what is. What a piece of shit. <laughs> Uh yeah, bad movie. Bad movie. No recommendation. Yeah. Terrible. Any other checklist things from this movie? Let's see. Um the soundtrack is not uh as big a thing in this. No, there's some good I mean the Jesus Lizard song, mm-hmm. just like Honey is great. No, but I mean like uh like it doesn't feel like it's in the tradition of like you know, we were talking about like Igby Goes Down has the Coldplay song in it. Like this sort of like this this sound that becomes so indicative of like this like acoustic indie sort of sound. We don't really get a lot of that. It in has this. a very like early hipster soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing about this movie is that if it didn't have the score that it did, like if it didn't have that nicely placed my bloody valentine and jesus lizard at the end mm-hmm. i don't think people would have liked it like as much yeah i think that the vibe then in that case that's very much a 2000s thing because i think I most think. of these movies people wouldn't have liked as much without the soundtrack the soundtracks are so important because it, it, it introduces you to music that makes you feel cool for listening mm-hmm. um and you know you don't say that you found it from Lost in Translation or Garden State or Little Miss no, Sunshine. No, of course not. You would never say that. You found it in the liner notes of an album. You look... You That's were, the coolest way to find a band. Yeah, you were looking at Paste Magazine or something in the yeah. Barnes and & Noble and found it. Um, but it, I, I do think that that part is there. It's not as, it's not as uh, deeply entwined. Like, people don't really think about... Maybe people think... I, I'm maybe a little biased because I remember there was a kid who was like wanting to put My Bloody Valentine in his short film and he mm-hmm. was like, like in Lost in Translation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think it's important to the movie. Um, and a cheat. It feels, this is the thing is that I feel like that is often a cheat mm-hmm. in that it, it's like you're making... You're using somebody else's art to make your art do the thing that that does. Right, and usually to like <laughs> no to no end yeah like, like it's it's kind of uh, like in some ways the perfect example and also the worst example is the is the you know needle in the hay scene right where it's like right. it is itself a very emotionally resonant scene and probably would be with another song but you get a lot of extra juice from <laughs> needle in the hay which is <laughs> one of the saddest songs of all time yeah uh, and really a good pl- that's the thing about Wes Anderson is by like kinda- one of the most famously sad men ever to live <laughs> he can get away with that because the scene has the juice to back it up yeah yeah, and then people took that and then just like sofia coppola very famously just puts in vibey songs that are very beautiful Mm -hmm. and then it's like wow i also love my bloody valentine yeah Uh, i guess japan is mysterious (laughs) what are you saying with any of this Uh, it's bullshit it's bullshit this movie's bullshit I fucking hate this movie. Yeah, I don't recommend it. This is the first one that I really don't like. Um, and I think the reason is because there's nothing under the stuff that we did, the checklists of like yeah. the emotional uh, nihilism, the sort of like alienation, the the music, the aesthetic. It's all there, but it's there's nothing under it. So, yeah. So, don't watch it. Don't watch it. That's the movie. Uh, next week will be the pinnacle, right? Or well, the, 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 the the summit. The solidifying of the... Th- I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. A mountain isn't really the right metaphor, I don't think. Okay, sorry. But I don't know what is. <laughs> well, it's like a, you know what it is? It's like a pot. It's like we, we're doing pottery and oh. we're putting it in the kiln this week. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to fire it we're up. We're going to fire it. And, and after that, we're going to do all sorts of like, you know, we got to like, uh, we got to color it. We got to gloss it. Shellac it. We got to put stuff in it eventually, of course. you know, <laughs> and, and then break it. You got to break it. That's how you, that's how you, that's what pottery is <laughs> That's do. what pottery is for. <laughs> you smash it. <laughs> so these past couple of weeks we've been, you know, we've been mashing together the clay and then forming it into a bowl. Yeah. Next week we fire it. All right. Come back next time for the fire <laughs> that Zach Braff will will bestow upon us uh <laughs> this has been generation the purifying loss. fire <laughs> that zach braff will let us finally go through <laughs> and Come dance and clean on the other end and dance in front of to fro or whatever <laughs> uh thanks for listening this has been generation loss please visit patreon.com slash generation loss where you can get a bonus episode every week for five dollars a month um you also get discord access where we hang out and you can watch the movie we're going to talk about in the new episode on the Sunday before the episode comes out. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at GenLossPod. You can uh, follow us individually from there. And until next time, that's, that's movies. movies.